Good afternoon, and welcome to Citizen K, a weekly current affairs program featuring in-depth interviews and perspectives. I'm Kareem Mosna. This week on Citizen K. Physically, we can do it. Am I optimistic that people will? No. As part of Friday's global climate strikes, Kingston 350 and Queen's University students hosted a rally at City Park. We'll find out the message they want to send to government and to the public coming up. Also on the way, a chat with Kingston Writers Fest Artistic Director Era McCauley about going beneath the surface. But first, we head to Confederation Basin. Now, when I received the media release from Voltari, I thought to myself, I already covered this back in July when I was there for the launch of Canada's first commercially available electric boat. But as I read on in the media release, I saw, well, this time they are cutting the ribbon on the first EV supercharger, the Voltari E-Pump. This is the first in Canada and uh, the fastest of its kind in North America. Here's my conversation with Voltari President Tim Marku here on Citizen K. We are looking at this really great charger. From what I understand, this can charge... Um Tell me the speed that this can charge a boat. Yeah, it's a 160-kilowatt charger. Uh, so in the marine space um, here at Confederation Basin, uh, you could charge this boat on any one of the existing marine pedestals overnight. But if you are looking for a faster charge, you could come over to our Voltari charger and plug in and charge the boat in 45 minutes. 45 minutes for a full charge from having from being completely empty? From zero to 100. That's incredible. Uh, so this really... This is the first in Canada. It is the first in Canada. It's the second in North America. There is another rapid charger in Lake Tahoe. Uh, they are going to be coming out throughout North America. Europe is quite a bit more advanced uh, on the marine side than we are, uh, but we're trying to change that. So do you think this really has the power to change boating? Well, I really hope uh, that it can because the environmental impact, uh, marine is one of the most unregulated spaces, both from a uh, carbon emission, but also from a bilge pump, uh, oil and fuel uh, getting pumped directly into our waterways. So having uh, an electric boat would uh, really go a long way from an environmental perspective. So we'd like to think it's the start of perhaps a change or a new verse in boating. So back in July, um, we, we were here again and we were looking at Uh, the installation of the first charger from what I understand back in July but this tell me a bit more about what this is specifically yeah, so, so July was really about the announcement of Kingston wanting to be the first in the country to install a charger, and uh, now it's come to come to pass. The charger's physically installed. It is the first marine-dedicated uh, supercharger in the country, and hopefully one of many more to come. Right, so that was sort of the announcement, and now it's physically here. So if you have an electric boat, you can simply hook up. Absolutely. We use standard automotive technology in terms of the connection points. Uh, so whether it is a Voltari or, you know, hopefully the industry brings on more competition as well, you could come in and use the Voltari power charger. Is Voltari the only uh, electric, fully electric boat currently available? There are a bunch of companies that have prototypes uh, out there. There are a few uh, Scandinavian companies that are uh, in production and commercialized as well. Uh, we are the first uh, to be in production and fully commercialized in North America. So someone could could now buy a Voltari electric boat? Absolutely. We, In fact, we've sold five of them so far. We started off sales last week and uh, looking forward to selling many more. And you're based not too far from Kingston, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah, Our battery and propulsion systems and engineering are done out of Montreal. Our assembly are just outside of Ottawa and uh, head, head offices in Merrickville, Ontario. Got it. 
And so, okay, so someone brings their Voltari and they can hook up here and uh, less than an hour, they can be fully charged. Absolutely, a 45-minute charge from zero to 100. Perfect. And I'm just looking at the boat here. I'm looking like this looks like a really uh, comfortable boat as well to sit in and to, you know, get comfortable, have a, have, have a drink in it. Absolutely. It's the boat it has been an absolute pleasure to be a part of uh, working on and even more exciting now that we have it on the water. And I've personally been on it for six weeks. Uh, it is really designed to be a better boat and to offer uh, an existing uh, combustion uh, boater, uh, you know, a better opportunity to boat. And not only that, but have an impact on the environment. Perfect. And um, the honey. I, um, t- tell me a little bit about the connection between the honey and the boat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have this uh, really cool honeycomb pattern on our Baltari power charging pumps. And uh, we also will hide a bee uh, in plain sight, but move it around uh, on each of our installations. And in doing so, the significance of the bee from a pollination and and from an environmental perspective, we've decided to uh, donate 1% of all proceeds to organic honey farmers and local ones. So again, connecting further with the the, uh, environment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, if you look at um, the impact we can make here on the waterways versus, you know, when you spill a drop of gas in the water and you see that giant rainbow uh, come out from your drop, um, you know, we have the ability to change things uh, environmentally here. So uh, that's the theme behind the bee. Perfect. And uh, any hopes for this now for this new charger? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, it's it's here for anybody to use, and uh, uh, we look forward to uh, hopefully many customers uh, coming in to grab a, uh, a full electric charge off their Voltari power charger. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much, Tim. Thank you very much. That was my conversation with Voltari President Tim Marcou. Now, Mayor Brian Patterson was uh, there at the ribbon cutting, and he had a few words to say about the new Voltari e-pump supercharger. It's official. Voltari, the uh, electric charger, is right here. Well, it's an exciting moment. First uh, electric vehicle charging station for marine boats uh, in Canada. And I think uh, what, what better place to have it than here in Kingston? Yeah, and, and yeah, so expand on how, you know, what's, what you feel this is going to mean for, for Kingston and for uh, this, these, these great waters that we have here. Well, I think it's another example of positioning Kingston on the forefront of the transition to electric vehicles. Uh, we've put electric vehicle charging stations throughout the community so to en- enable and encourage people to, to buy electric cars. We have our first two electric buses on the road. We even have electric Zambonis at the Invista Centre. And so now being able to have that infrastructure for electric boats, I think that's just one more step moving us in the right direction. I think it's a signal to, to the wider, uh, to, to the province, to the country and beyond that, um, you know, these investments are real. And, uh, you know, certainly this is, this is something we are encouraging and we look forward to seeing uh, more electric vehicles here in our community. Mayor Brian Patterson commenting on Voltari and the e-pump supercharger. Now, sticking with the environment, this past Friday, the Fridays for Future global climate strikes happened all over the world. It was a movement started in 2018 by a then 15-year-old Greta Thunberg, who would leave school on a Friday to protest for more action on climate change. Well, here in Kingston, a rally happened at City Park, Kingston 350, and 
Queen's University students hosted the rally. It was also the official launch of Kingston 350's 50 by 2030 campaign. To learn more about that and about the rally, here is member Gavin Hutchison from 350 Kingston speaking with me on Citizen K. Tell me a bit about what you would like to see come out of today's rally. I'd like to see um, uh, two things come out of today's rally. I'd like to see that the people who attend this rally realize they have something they have to do. Okay, Half of the city of Kingston's emissions come out of the tailpipes of people's cars and the exhaust pipes of people's furnaces. So the city of Kingston can't reduce their emissions without you and me doing something. So that's one key message I hope that they take away from here, is they've got to go home and do something. They have 15 years to do it, and they have to get half of it done in eight, but, um, but they do have to go home and think about it and create a plan and start reducing their emissions. Uh, Liberal uh, MP Ted Shu, the Liberal energy critic uh, for the province, um, sent in a statement saying that they're committed to hitting that goal of reducing 50% by 2030. Any response to Ted's statement? Well, it's admirable that that, uh, the Liberal Party is committed to that. Um, I I wish he'd take Doug Ford out for a beer and convince him he needs to do that. Uh, He cancelled all the good things that Ontario had going for it. And uh, as soon as he came in four years ago. So um, we haven't seen a climate plan from Ontario since then. I don't know what... I guess Ontario is not going to be much of a help. The help that I'm going to tell people about today will be from the federal government. It's money, and it'll be from the federal government, not the provincial. Okay, so are you optimistic that we can do this? Physically, we can do it. Am I optimistic that people will? No. You can't be a climate activist for the last 10 years and not wonder why is it taking so long for everyone else to to realize we're in a big, deep hole and we need to do something starting right now. We've left it to the very last minute and um, I, I don't know that they will. Gavin, thank you very much for speaking with me. Members from the Kingston Youth Climate Council were also present at the rally. I spoke with one of their members, Abigail O'Connor. What what are your hopes that people take away from today's rally? Um, One thing that we're really pushing today is just voting. That's why we have a whole booth over there that's targeted at getting people to sign up to vote because there's an upcoming municipal election. And at the last provincial election, the youth voting turnout was really bad. So we're just trying to get that up. That's one of the main things of today. But also 350 is launching their 50 by 30 campaign to get emissions down 50% by 2030 so that we can meet the 2040 target of net zero emissions. Well, and you brought up voting and the election, which is just over a month to go. Um, what, what are some things that you know, you'd like to maybe send to those who are running for election this, this term? Well, local and like local policies and urban planning specifically can have a lot of impact on sustainability and um, actions like further up as well because actions do start small. Mm -hmm. So if we can vote with the climate in mind, that's a great step to start because it is very important. It's happening all around us. It's already happening. Um, Like people are already, I'm thinking of Pakistan and the floods and stuff. 
people are already being affected by it. So we need to start taking more action. And action starts very local, for sure. I mean, generally, you know, when you read polls, you know, youth always cite climate change right near the top of that. Um, How are you feeling about sort of um, the response that we're getting, you know, from the various levels of government right now? Well, we were actually, I'm taking an environmental policy class and we were just looking at the climate change campaigns of the parties and it's very, they don't seem to have it laid out how they're going to follow through with these goals. Um, So they have great goals set out, but they haven't really followed through with a plan, it seems, of like what specific steps they're going to take. So it doesn't really seem super achievable right now. So if they could lay out more of a direct action plan, I think that would be very helpful, especially for us, like, trying to figure out how we can help. Um, It's harder when there's not that information as to, like, what they're actually doing. And sort of, yeah, having that lack of information and and sort of still seeing uh, some of these very real issues that are happening all over the world, you know, as a member of of this youth climate action and as a youth, like, how do you feel about the future? Um... It's a very anxious, depressing topic sometimes, especially I'm in environmental science, so I am surrounded by like this topic all the time, and it can be very depressing for sure. Um, but I'm really lucky. Like I feel like the climate community here is really strong. All of my like fellow peers in class, we all talk about our emotions a lot. Like some of my closest friends, we just talk about our climate feelings and like where we're at all the time and so that really helps but it is very overwhelming to think about the future that was kingston youth climate council member abigail o'connor queen's university professor jointly appointed in environmental studies and global development dr kyla tianahara spoke at the rally about the global impacts of climate change and i had a chance to talk with her briefly after her speech okay so i just wanted to talk a little bit about um, what you presented here at the rally um you mentioned about some of the disasters we're seeing in Pakistan and how they're responsible. Remind me of the percentage that they're responsible for, for what they are now living through. So they have contributed 0.4% to the historical emissions that are greenhouse gas emissions that are causing climate change. So that's a a minuscule amount compared uh, to countries like the U.S., which is 21.5%, the European Union, 15%, and in Canada, we're, we're a much smaller country, so our contribution is lower on a total basis. It's about 2.6. But then if you look at it a per capita basis, then it's actually very, very, very high. This is a global climate strike. Um, What is it you hope people will take away from this rally today? So I I hope people are going to take a combination of the the better understanding of some of the global issues, like the ones that I were talking about in terms of Uh, demands by poorer countries for loss and damage finance, which is effectively climate reparations. So paying uh, to help these countries deal with the fact that there are already impacts of climate change that we can't do anything about, which is incredibly unfortunate, Um, in addition to to paying them finance to help mitigate uh, further climate change by helping them transition to renewable energy and so forth, and and adaptation finance, which is the stuff that we can do to prevent future disasters. Um, But additionally, there's some really important local conversations happening here, and I think local action on climate change is incredibly important as well. So I hope that uh, 
the students especially will be inspired to to vote in the upcoming municipal elections and to put pressure on local council to uh, try to accelerate our ambition on climate. 50 by 2030 uh, is the the goal that was set out and um, I know that's also part of the campaign that's being launched by 350 Kingston uh, as part of this rally. In terms of you know what? What we're doing as as a province, as a country, like is it? Do you think we are we're, we're on track to meeting that goal? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, Canada's definitely not on track as a country. Um, so our highest emissions, in case your listeners aren't aware, come from first first and foremost the production of fossil fuels, which we're not doing very much to scale back, and then secondly transportation. And here in Ontario. Uh, the current government is doing everything it can to increase our reliance on um, on cars by expanding highways and so forth, rather than investing in public transportation, rather than trying to invest in, in cities that are, are compact and people can get around without having to rely on cars. So uh, we're definitely not moving in the right direction. There are some positive things that are happening you know, at each scale, including here at Kingston, but we need to do more and do, do it faster. Great. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me. Yeah, no, thanks for reporting on the strike. That was Dr. Kyla Tianahara. Tomorrow on The Scoop, we will have more perspectives, particularly some government responses to the global climate strike. So be sure to join me tomorrow at 5 on The Scoop. You're listening to Citizen K on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and on podcast. I'm Kareem Mosna. The 14th annual Kingston Writers' Fest kicks off tomorrow at the Holiday Inn with 40 in-person events. The lineup includes authors such as Heather O'Neill, Jezamine Chan, Nita Prose, and Sham Salvadori. Artistic Director Era McCauley joined me for a great conversation about this year's festival, which the theme this year is Beneath the Surface. Well, thank you very much for taking some time to come down to the studio today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So just uh, stimming the schedule uh, for this year's Writers' Fest, and I'm seeing themes of identity, uh, mental health, activism. What would you say beyond this, and I know the the theme is beneath the surface, Mm -hmm. but what would you say is the mission of Writers' Fest this year? Um, This year is really kind of a twofold thing. It's acknowledging what we've been through Uh, in the last couple of years with the pandemic and the issues that have um, arisen and and been in front of mind for people since that happened. And also an opportunity to celebrate the fact that we have this opportunity to come back in person. And so it is a celebration of our community, of our chance to gather together, and to process some of what's happened to us, some of the issues that We've had so much time to ruminate over and um, to really remember what the festival is about and how many incredible artists are in this community. Because this is the first year we've returned to full in-person delivery. It is, yeah. yeah. So 2020 and 2021 um, were both completely virtual festivals. So um, yeah, we're uh, (laughs) dusting off all the old chairs and signage and, and heading back to the Holiday Inn this year. Well, it looks like a very exciting lineup. Um, I'm seeing even some, you know, some familiar voices from the CBC. Uh, Carol Off, tell me about this weaponization of words. I'm really intrigued with, with this. Mm-hmm. Um, Carol is fantastic. Uh, she has hosted our Big Idea panel on Saturday night for many years now, and um, she takes a really active role in collaborating on the themes for that we take um, to the Big Idea. And so, the weaponization of words was an idea that uh, she's been mulling and is actually working on. Creating 
creating a new podcast with. She just uh, retired from As It Happens earlier this year. So this is really an opportunity for her to start exploring that idea of how um, words that used to have either a neutral meaning or a different meaning have been twisted, um, you know, things like fascist and woke and elite um, and how uh, they are used for political and negative and very loaded um, reasons now when they didn't necessarily have that um, notion before. And really, so going beyond um, you know, uh, writers and all that, really, this is, will be a, a chance to maybe understand where we're at as a society. Yeah, um, and, and the point of the festival is, um, in addition to celebrating the artists and, and their work, it's really an opportunity to share ideas and promote thought and um, promote conversations, um, both amongst authors and the audience, authors and the moderators, and the the audience themselves. We have an incredibly intelligent, incredibly engaged audience here in Kingston, and sometimes the conversations you hear in the hall are as fascinating as what you hear on stage. So absolutely, it's... Um, it's our hope to to get people really thinking about these ideas. I see uh, Dr. Uh, Jabor Mate will mm-hmm. be speaking as well uh, on his book, The Myth of Normal, in a panel interview. Uh, would love to understand uh, a bit more about uh, what people could expect from this. Um, yeah, so that is our marquee event of the, the Beneath the Surface series. Um, so doc- Dr. Mate uh, speaks a lot about um, the links between childhood trauma and um, addiction, uh, mental health issues, um, and uh, really just the societal um, ills that lead to these things and what we can do to fix them. And so he will be speaking about his new book. He'll be speaking about some of um, his ideas on that subject. And um, this is born out of years of research. Uh, He was in um, a war in Hungary, escaped from there. And then he worked for 10 years on the Lower East Side in Vancouver with um, people with serious addiction problems and homelessness problems there. And um, he brings a really compassionate, uh, very lived experience to um, what he speaks about. It's very human. And, um, you know, these these people aren't statistics to him. And I, I think his belief that we can resolve and, and explore these issues and get to a better place is, is really something that um, we kind of need to hear. <laughs> um, it's not all doom and gloom. There are opportunities for development and growth in there. So he'll be really speaking to that um, during the, the panel. Amazing. And uh, tell me a bit about s- some other authors that we can expect to uh to hear from throughout this fest. I know there's also some workshops as well. Yes. Um, so every year we do a uh, writer's retreat, we call it. So it's a dozen workshops by different authors in different genres on all different elements of literary craft. So um, on Wednesday night, for example, we have Carrie Fagan on how to write a picture book. We have um, way, uh, how to get published with um, Kwame Frazier, who runs um, is now the president of Dundurn Press. Um, and he'll be speaking to four of the authors from his press on how they they got published and what their literary journey was. There's also things on creative process and working on dialogue and how to create fiction from your own biography. So it's really a lot of different opportunities for people to flex their creative muscles. The classes are two and a half hours long and they're all capped. So there's lots of opportunity to both learn and put it into practice. Amazing. And even to just speak with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. We're there for 
for various reasons as well. Absolutely. Um, And that's one of the things that we've implemented this year is um, after the classes at the end of each day, there's an optional but very welcome social uh, party at Curate Social, which is now um, open on King Street. So folks can go there and continue the conversation and continue networking. Um, It's incredible in those workshops how close people get over the course of a few days and um, the ideas and the work that comes out of it. Amazing. And why to you is is having a festival like this important? Um, I think people, I think Getting the idea of what the festival is uh, is important. Um, people tend to think of, oh, what's a, what's a, a literary festival? Is it a bunch of people just reading from their work and then they walk off stage? Um, but what it is is really an opportunity to connect with the authors and get to know them on a deeper level. It's a conversation much like you and I are having here. Um, so you get to learn about their inspirations, um, their process, um, what's coming up next for them and why they are motivated to write about what they do. And so it's, it's really just a very enriching, engaging opportunity. And I think one of the wonderful things about a festival of any sort is discovering voices that you haven't yet discovered. Um, I think, you know, whether it's music or film or reading, like discovering a new favorite is such an exciting thing. And, um, there's just so much positive energy around uh, the festival, and um, that's really what we're trying to tr- to promote is that excitement. Um, I think the last couple of years of not having the in-person festival really reminded us of why we love <laughs> gathering together. There is um, so much more energy for the author when they're speaking to a room of people that are smiling and laughing and clapping and crying and rushing to get their book signed than when they're just speaking to a computer and then signing off at the end of it. Um, so that experience and that sense of community, again, is really what we what we promote. And making discoveries uh, within yourself through uh, something like writing and through connecting with others and hearing stories and finding your own story as well. Absolutely, yeah. And as uh, you mentioned before, like identity is a huge part of it. And that is... Um, you know, I, I think we've done a lot of self-respect uh, reflection as a community, as a culture in the last couple of years. And so um, having that chance to kind of reach out and explore and, and meet like-minded people that are like, you know what, this is what I think I want to get into, or this is what I want to explore. And having that opportunity is really exciting. Now, I know it's it's this week, it's mm-hmm. happening. Uh, there, there's still opportunities for people to, to register and, and be a part of this? Yes, Um Aside from food events where we have to have a cutoff for for the sake of the kitchens, um, tickets are on sale for everything um, right at the door. Uh, We have a box office right in the lobby of the Holiday Inn. Um, You can order them 24 hours a day online. We're doing digital tickets this year, so... Uh, no worries about printing things out or, or running to grab your your sheets of paper from a box office. Um, and we are doing it hybrid this year. So in addition to in-person, if people can't make it down or are not quite feeling comfortable with assembling yet, they can purchase an online ticket and watch the event live and they can still uh, participate in the Q&A from the comfort of their own home. So. Beautiful. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was my conversation with Kingston Writers Fest Artistic Director Aaron McCauley.
And that's all for Citizen K this week. Citizen K was produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at Queen's University. CFRC 101.9 FM broadcasts from Kingston, Ontario on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. Thank you for listening. I'm Kareem Mosna. <laughs>